We, a company of God's people, are gathered at the chapel of the Opened Book, London, on Saturday, the 2nd of December, 1967, to remember our beloved teacher and founder of the Berean Forward Movement, who fell asleep in Christ on the 4th of November, 1967. Amongst many letters paying tribute to Mr. Welsh, I have selected a few as being representative of the sentiments expressed. Mr. Shiris of Glasgow writes, When I heard of the passing of Mr. Welsh, it made me very sad to realise the long association I have had with him was broken. I became acquainted with him when he first started to write articles for things to come. Then when I saw an advertisement in that paper for the Berean Expositor, I became a subscriber and I have been a constant reader ever since. I first met him in Aberdeen in April 1932 on his first visit to the Granite City. And Mr. and Mrs. Alex Cormack, Ian's parents, invited me to tea with them on one of the three days Mr. Welsh used to spend in Aberdeen. This gave me the opportunity of getting to know him intimately. How much I owe him for any knowledge of the scriptures I have especially of the mystery. What a teacher of the word he was. And now the voice we loved is silent. The pen which wrote so much is dry. Perhaps the coming volume on Ephesians is meant to be his memorial. Mrs. Harkness of Leamington Spa writes, Brother Welsh was truly a great pioneer and mighty in the scriptures of truth. It has been a great privilege for all who knew and heard him to have been associated with his ministry. Mr. and Mrs. Weeks of St. Ives Cornwall say, We do praise God for every memory of Mr. Welsh. He being dead yet speaketh. He certainly has left behind a lasting testimony to the glory of God. We look forward to that day when all the members will be glorified with our blessed Lord. Mrs. Brininger of Amish and Bucks, thank you for letting me know that Mr. Welsh is finally rid of his tent. It gave him a deal of trouble, but the inward, the inward man was as vigorous as ever. His memorial is the unique literature he produced which liberated the minds of so many. He is still a gift to the church, he being dead yet speaketh. The faithful men to whom he gave the message to pass on are indeed faithful. It was a good thing CHW got to the big meeting in September. After all, he started the work and carried on for years with little encouragement. His creator saw it all. Mr. Hollard of Australia writes, After listening to preachers of all kinds for the last 40 years, I can say that Mr. Welsh's ministry over the eight years I have been acquainted with it has been more to me than all the others put together. The recordings which have come from time to time from the London Chapel have contained one thrill after another, and I shall continue to look forward to those familiar words. This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book, with which our dear brother always prefaced his remarks. I remember reading what was said of another departed loyal and faithful servant in your midst. We shall honour his memory best by a deeper consecration of ourselves, etc. And these words, I feel, could also be applied concerning the one so recently departed. Mr. D William B. McKay of West Lothian says, He was the greatest teacher of the scriptures I have had the honour to know. Mr. Williams of Nottingham says, A man of God whom we have loved and benefited by his ministry right from number one. We pray that our brother Stuart Allen may take his place and the work may continue. From Mr. MacIver, editor of Words of Life, writes, The Christian world has sustained a severe loss by his death, a loss more to be experienced perhaps as time goes by. We join with those who sorrow but look triumphantly to that day when he shall appear, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. To Stuart Allen and those who labour, 
we send our Christian greetings and remember them all in our prayers, our respects to Mrs. Welsh and the family. Mr. K. A. Den Brigan, who visited us in the summer, and many of you will remember, writes, It was with sadness and sorrow that I heard Mr. Charles H. Welsh leave us. It did not surprise me when I saw him in the summer, I understood he was ill, and then I was already afraid to see him never again. Yet it is with thankfulness that I remember him. Thankful to God for all things he has given in this man. His ideas and methods have been also of importance for Holland, for indeed the labours of Messrs. Poptit and S. van Mierlo, which I try to continue, is not imaginable without the influence of Mr. Welsh. I hope you will send me a short report of your meeting in which Mr. Welsh will be commemorated. I hope so to inform the Dutch readers in my magazine, Lampolite, about it. When we are staying at the open grave, we know that the expectation of the resurrection is the most essential part of our faith. May this great day soon be here. Many more such tributes have been received, including one from Mr. James Allen, who also came from Glasgow to be at the funeral, Mr. Higgs of Swindon, Mrs. Grenham of Purley, Mr. Collier of Australia, Mrs. Miss Brown of Somerset, to mention only a few. I had a, quite a difficulty to make a selection of so many that I had. And now we are going to sing one or two hymns and you will find that they are all by Mr. Welsh. The type on the service paper is rather small, but they are all in the ordinary hymn books. And the first one we are singing is hymn number 17. O Lord, for thy mercy, our praises we sing, in grateful devotion our tribute to bring. That mercy so free and that mercy so sure, that mercy for ever and aye shall endure. Number 17.
Shall we draw near to the throne of grace? We come before thee, gracious Heavenly Father, thanking thee indeed for thy mercy so free, which flows from the Saviour to sinners as we. For the rent veil, the middle wall of partition broken down, the way of access opened, that we Gentiles, sinners, outcasts, might be reconciled, made righteous, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That mercy forever and a shall endure. We come today to thank Thee for the faithful and unswerving testimony and the dedicated ministry of our beloved principal, Charles Welsh, now fallen asleep in Christ. Sometimes there lives a child of Thine that radiates in a very special way the glorious treasures of thy word, is able to illumine word and page with deeper insight, forged perhaps in adversity. The light he gives is brighter, clearer. We thank thee, gracious Father, that we have known such a man of God. We come with mingled thoughts of sorrow and of thankfulness, of sorrow that we shall see his face no more, for the vacant place in the family circle. We lovingly commend his wife and family to thee, and ask that thou wilt continue to comfort and sustain and strengthen them at this time. Uphold them by the memory of his complete devotion in the service of Christ, and so strengthen their faith in thy love. We would thank thee for the inspiration of a life lived to the full in seeking to teach others of the Lord Jesus Christ, to teach others of the full inspiration of the Scriptures for revealing to us the truth of the mystery, that blessed hope of the church which is his body. We have indeed lost a guide, a counsellor, a friend. Yet we thank thee that through the devoted labours of others we have still his words in print and on the tapes, so that his work lives on as we think of the humble beginnings of his stand for the truth of thy word rightly divided, and of the many who now, through his untiring labors, have been so richly blessed, we can but give thanks to thy wondrous name and acknowledge the leading of thy spirit in, his, in this servant of thine. We thank thee, too, for sparing him for so many years, that he was able to see that his work in thy service had been so blessed of thee. We rejoice that we have able and faithful men whom surely thou hast raised up to carry on the work and witness. We pray that every one of us may take unto ourselves the whole armour of God, and in unity and love, ever be faithful in heart and life, that we too may be loyal members of the Church which is the body of Christ. And now we do commend to thee our service, and ask that thou wilt bless all that is done, that it may be to the glory of thy name. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
first reading of the scriptures is taken from the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. May God bless the reading of his own word. Friends, before the uh, assistant principal reads that wonderful chapter in Corinthians, shall we sing again hymn number 12? Hymn number 12, He died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Separated from the Father, not while endless ages run, for redemption was completed by his well-beloved Son. Hymn number 17.
Our second scripture reading is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fall. That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. He hath chosen us in him, in whom we have redemption. Shall we praise the Lord by singing together hymn number five. Chosen by electing grace, ransomed by redeeming love. Christian, seek your Saviour's face, set your heart on things above. Yeah. 
I have two more messages to read out, one from Mrs. Welsh and one from Mr. Welsh's sister, Mrs. Elson. Mrs. Welsh sends this message to you all. Dear friends, I would like to say a great big thank you to all of you who have been remembering me the last few weeks. I can only say that my dear man has finished his course, and I think apart from the pain, it was with joy. What a privilege to be allowed to make known to those concerned that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And I was allowed to be his partner in all this. We started together when I was 17. A long time to spend together. Plenty of ups and downs and misunderstandings. But I was never allowed to forget that we belonged to each other through thick and thin. When one door closed, it was not long before another opened, and at last he was able to leave the rightly divided word and its consequences in very able hands. I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word, and the written word, will ever be the aim of those who occupy the pulpit of the chapel of the open book, and so fulfil the work commenced by my dear husband. Yours in him, Winifred J. Welch. And then from Mrs. Elson. I should dearly love to have been with you all, but I really do not feel able to come. I shall stay at home, but will be with you in prayer and thanksgiving. I do please ask that you will convey to all the dear ones present my gratitude for all the loyalty and help so willingly and lovingly given to Charlie in many ways that have been an encouragement and strengthening as he plodded on in this great work for the Lord. We also have a letter here from George Collier in Australia. It is a long letter and uh, you will not expect me to read every item of it out. He writes, There are many out in this country who have expressed personally to Mrs. Winifred Welch their deep sympathy in the loss of her beloved partner in love, life and faith, our late and highly esteemed brother in Christ, Charles Welch. He goes on to speak of how much they owe to him in his ministry. Quite a long letter. Uh, and he ends up by saying the signatures of all those who were available are appended. There are 17 who joined in this letter. Every one of our fellow members who acknowledge the unity of the Spirit. We in this country send our love and consolation in Christ. The Brian Bible Fellowship of New South Wales. George Collier. Today we mourn the loss of a great Bible scholar and teacher, our friend and president, Charles Welsh. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, expositor of the Word of God that this century has seen. The tragedy is that the evangelical world as a whole has never appreciated this. Yet we are thankful that the Lord permitted him to see so much fruit from his untiring witness to the truth of the scriptures for over 60 years, especially that which is given through the Apostle Paul for this dispensation of grace. As we think of him, there is one verse that will always stand out prominently, for it permeated all his ministry, namely 2 Timothy 2.15. Study, be zealous, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This was the key that unlocked the scriptures for him, as it has done for many others. He was indeed a workman, 
No word ever described him better. When we reflect on his vast literary output, with the immense amount of research and study behind it, comprising 55 years of the Brian Expositor, his larger works of exposition, which include the ten volumes of the alphabetical analysis, the many booklets, all of which are exhibited around us in this chapel. And when we consider his spoken ministry here, and up and down the land, we are amazed that one man could accomplish so much. We are grateful, too, to have a permanent record of his voice and spoken ministry on tapes, as has already been ex expressed more than once in this service. Like Abel of old, he being dead, yet speaketh. He would have been the first to ascribe all this to the strengthening grace of God and to describe himself as an earthen vessel which the Lord has used. There is another thing that will always stand out as I think of him and I had the privilege of knowing and working closely with him for over 40 years and that is his unswerving loyalty to the word of God rightly divided. How much easier it would have been for him had he compromised, however slightly, or toned down this or that aspect of truth which is not popular today in evangelical circles. But, strengthened by the God of truth, he kept faithful in spite of all the opposition and misunderstanding he received. And only he, his dear wife and the Lord know just what that involved. For him the task is finished. The race is over. He goes to his rest. But what are those who are left behind? Especially we think of those near and dear to him today, his wife and family. Words are always inadequate at a time like this. But we do lovingly commend them to the Lord, to the God of all comfort, and the Saviour who stood at the grave side of a dear friend and wept. He was indeed the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows. He is the sympathetic one touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And we pray that he may be very consciously near them at this time and in the future day. We who remain will surely gain encouragement as we think of Brother Welsh, his tireless industry, his faithful stand for all the truth committed to him by the Lord. If we ask what is the best way we can show our appreciation, I feel it will be that we consecrate ourselves once again to the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that the Lord who enabled him is the Lord that can enable us. He can strengthen us by his grace that we can stand, as he did, utterly loyal to that good deposit given to us through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Not yielding an inch to avoid unpopularity or loneliness. At the same time, blending all with love and graciousness. Let us resolve to stand together resolutely for the gospel of God's grace, for the unity of the spirit, the unity of the faith, the unity of the body made known to us in Ephesians 4. Let us see to it that we do not deviate a fraction from any doctrine that is fundamental to our sacred trust. If this happens, then the enemy will surely get the advantage with disastrous results. And past history shows how often this has occurred in Christian movements which are founded in this way. May we not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Whatever we promulgate as truth, let us be sure that it has the clear, unambiguous backing of the sacred scriptures.
rightly divided. The work and witness must go on. There is every evidence that it is growing, as more and more show that they have been given open eyes to comprehend in some measure the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But the need is great, and the time may be short. The darkness around us deepens, and the pace of the world events quickens as the age draws nearer to its close with its godlessness and apostasy. May the Lord give us all wisdom, grace, strength and humility to redouble our efforts at the same time keeping all in line with his will, ever looking forward to that blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and we, his body, united to him in the glory of heaven's holiest of all. We shall then be reunited with our brother, Charles Welsh, and with all the members of the body whom we know and love, there to serve the Lord in a fullness of joy and in absolute perfection. Now, this would not be a fitting testimonial to our beloved President if we did not open the book. And so, while I don't intend to give a lengthy Bible reading, I am going to ask you to give a consideration just for a short time on this basic and vital doctrine of the resurrection of the believer. There is no need for me to stress in a meeting like this the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We know only too well that the whole of Christianity depends upon this. Satan knows it only too well. Hence the many attacks all down the past centuries. I do not need to have to labour to prove that. I'm thankful for that this afternoon. But I do want to bring before your minds again the importance of this great truth of the resurrection of the believer. And not only that, but how this great basic doctrine permeates right through the whole purpose of God. It lies at the basis of all God's great redemptive work. And without it, all of this great purpose would collapse. Even in preaching the gospel, the gospel of God's grace, if we want what has been termed the full orb gospel, then we must include the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is not sufficient to point out to him as the sin-bearer upon Calvary's cross. Oh, yes, he was there. Praise the Lord for that. But there was something more than that. So, let us open the book at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, part of which we have had already read to us. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle writes in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. And he leaves us in no doubt what this good news was. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Note, not merely died, but he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then one more, as we look back to the Epistle to the Romans, and the 10th chapter, Romans 10, the Apostle, bringing this Gospel home to the individual, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's not a mention here of Calvary, but it must be included. For if he's raised from the dead, he must first of all have died. This good news had its vital, quickening, life-giving power as it ministers an ever-living Saviour. The one who said, because I live, 
you shall live also. Now I want us to uh, just to remember too that resurrection lies directly or indirectly behind all the promises of God. It's quite significant that in the gospel records we don't get the word promise until after the resurrection. I will send the promise of my Father upon you, said the Saviour. See how it worked twice in the experience of Abraham and Sarah. While we've got Romans open, turn to the fourth chapter. Verse 17, the Apostle quotes, From the Scriptures I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, now note, who makes alive the dead. God who quickeneth the dead. Verse 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And so Isaac, the miracle child, was the child of resurrection. The child of resurrection power, working upon these old people, Abraham and his wife. And again he experienced it later on, when, as you know quite well, that great test, the greatest test that Abraham had, was put upon him when God asked him to give back that child of promise, Isaac. Now what was the comment? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see, everything was hanging upon this boy. The whole of God's promise to Abraham was hanging upon Isaac. And God had asked him to give this boy back to him. Accounting, verse 19, Reckoning that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When he drew that knife to slay that boy, it was as good as done. As far as God was concerned, it was indeed. And this man had such a faith in the resurrection power of God, that he said, if I offer the boy, he said in effect this, if I offer him, God will raise him from the dead. He must do so because he's promised. And so he could say to those who travel with him, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come to you again. We'll come to you again. Think of that faith he was going to sacrifice him. Resurrection power. Working marvellously. Then remember too, of course, that Abraham, with those that are listed, In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told, although God had given them an earthly inheritance, they never enjoyed it. They never enjoyed it. They never even had a settled dwelling. Never had a house of bricks and mortar or stone. Just lived in tents. Why? Because they looked to a better country and a heavenly city and they knew there was no other way of getting there except via resurrection. You know that better resurrection that this epistle talks about, leading to a better country. They had no idea of enjoying it in any spirit form. No, indeed. A better resurrection leading to this glorious heavenly inheritance. Then I want you to think of how it permeates God's plan for bringing in the kingdom upon this earth. Many are the ideas that Christians have for what they call the extension of the kingdom, and what is finally going to bring the kingdom in, so at last, the darkness and the rebellion and all the ignorance of God and his ways are banished, and at last the Lord Jesus Christ rules? What is our answer to all this? 
when we are challenged. Well, I do hope that we have the will of God at our fingertips. I do hope we're able to point out that God has got a plan which he's made quite clear in his word and he's never altered it. He is going to bring in this worldwide kingdom through one people that he chose, the people of Israel. And he's never altered that plan. Yet as we look at them today, as we think of them all down the Christian centuries, they've been absolutely unusable. They've been dead. They've been spiritually blind. They've been deaf. They've had such a hard heart, such a rebellious mind, that they reject and still reject the Lord Jesus Christ as a race. Obviously then something's got to happen. Some miracle has got to take place. If they're ever going to be usable, it's going to be the miracle of resurrection. Sometime when you have time, turn to Ezekiel's prophecy, turn to the 37th chapter, which is a long chapter, and read it all the way through. There you will see that God gives Ezekiel a vision of dry bones in a valley. Dead, lifeless, useless. And then God speaks. And it's the God who quickens the dead that speaks. And finally the prophet, to his amazement, sees these bones uh, being clothed, having bodies, and those bodies given life. I'll just read two or three verses out from this chapter. Verse 11. This is God speaking. These bones are, or represent, the whole house of Israel. So we needn't guess. The bones are simply symbols of the people, the literal people of Israel, not the church. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, O my people, now listen, I will bring, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And I will put, verse 14, my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. I'm going to bring you out of your graves. I'm going to be the God that quickeneth the dead. Do you believe that? I do. Most certainly he's going to do it. And not only that, I want to remind you too, that this quickened Israel, this Israel that are regenerated and had the power of resurrection operating in and through them, are going to be the means of bringing resurrection to a dead world. What about that? And that is what we expect. Let me quote a, a verse from Romans chapter 11. The 11th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them, that is Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them, Israel, be, but life from the dead? Here it is. Resurrection life to a dead world. Now, friends, that is what the world is waiting before this kingdom can ever come on this earth. People may say the Lord's Prayer, and they do quite sincerely, many, many times. Often they say it without thinking of how it's coming to pass. But this is the way it's coming to pass. A most marvellous miracle is yet going to be wrought. And what a day that's going to be when at last a quickened, regenerated, resurrected Israel is going to take the knowledge of the Lord and his truth to the ends of the earth. They are going to be the great missionary nation of all time and the greatest missionaries that this world has ever seen. So we find resurrection operating behind God's plan to bring in this great earthly kingdom. Then we come down to what I started with, resurrection and the believer's hope. Friends, this has always been so. This is something not dispensational. There may be some aspects of it which are dispensational. But the basic truth has always been true for God's people. Go right back to the very beginning. One of the earliest Characters in the Bible is Job. Did he believe in resurrection? 
Oh yeah, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He knew that. And he said, although worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He had no idea of going off in a spirit form to see God. In my flesh shall I see God, and not another. Oh, he knew the great truth of resurrection. When we come down later to our Saviour, he was dealing with those whom he loved, Martha and Mary, and they'd lost someone beloved to them and beloved to the Lord. We're told so, because Jesus loved Lazarus. The greatest comfort that our Saviour could give those sorrowing sisters was this. Thy brother shall rise again. Note what he didn't say. He didn't say your brother's gone to glory. He's now in the presence of the angels and he's praising God. He never said anything like that at all. Thy brother shall rise again. And he had already said in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, verse 39, this is the Father's will, that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And three times in that Gospel you have that glorious expression and that promise. That God, through Christ, would raise up every single one. He would lose nothing. Not a single one left out. Of course, they're, they're not raised together. There are various resurrections that we have to rightly divide. But the basic truth is that all in the graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. All the majestic words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If he lays his children asleep as he does, that lovely expression in 1 Thessalonians 4, they that sleep in Jesus, could almost be rendered, they that are laid to sleep by Jesus. If he lays his children to sleep, he's the one that's going to wake them up. And the resurrection is the great waking up day. It is indeed. And that is assured for everyone who knows the Lord Jesus as their personal saviour. Every man in their own order, not all at once, in their own rank, at the right time, God knows exactly when, he'll not be a moment too soon, or a moment too late. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. No doubt about it. Look, shall, no ifs, shall raise us up by Jesus and shall present us with you. One could say quite a lot about that. I'm only lightly touching these things, friends, because of time. Just bringing just one or two thoughts in connection with this most marvellous purpose of God, this basic truth, as I say, runs through and permeates the whole great redemptive purpose. We know when we come to Philippians, we're dealing with service. Not so much what we have in grace, but having that, what we're doing with it. And the Apostle uses the figure of a race. And when you've got the figure of a race, you've always got the believer who's been redeemed, now running with the idea of prize and reward. Not that he's merely doing it in order just to get patted on the back. That's not the idea. But he just wants and loves to be loyal to his Lord. And you see, the Lord isn't in anybody's debt. He was the one that said, look, even if a, cold, a cup of cold water is given in my name, that will not lose its reward. And if God says that, we just have to believe it, shan't we? He's the God who is the rewarder of every man according to their work. And so we find in this letter, Paul running this race, what for? In order to get into the body or to be saved? Never. He says, I want to get the prize that's attached to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so he talks about an out-resurrection. In fact, there's two outs in that verse. Out-resurrection, out from among the dead. So you see, there's this basic thought, still a resurrection for those who are running the race and seeking to glory the Lord by running faithfully out resurrection. 
And if you study the subject carefully, you will find there's an out-resurrection for every calling. Not merely the body. In Luke, those that are worthy to obtain that age and the resurrection out from the dead, said the Saviour. Well, he was dealing with those uh, who, uh, who were linked with the earthly purpose of God there. And then I've already mentioned about this better resurrection that leads to that heavenly country. They are the overcomers. They are the prize winners. And so we also have an out-resurrection too. But last of all, and this touches I feel so practically, this is what I need and this is what you need. Resurrection as it pertains now to Christian service and witness. Ephesians chapter 1 to a very well-known verse and yet may it not be so well-known that its wonder has passed us. The last part of this first prayer of Paul for the Ephesian saints and for all members of the body who are yet to follow. He prayed that they might know, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in, energised Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him, seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and so on. The highest sphere of glory, the power that brought our Saviour from the grave and took him there to the Father's right hand. I am praying, says the Apostle, that you may know something about that now. It's to us, Ward, who believe. I think that means not just to us who are believers. It's true, of course, that nobody but a believer can know this. But those who are practically believing it, do we really practically believe that day by day? The days come with all their problems, do they not, for every one of us? Well, how do we tackle it? How do we look towards these problems? Do we say, well, now I'm really going to grip my teeth. I'm going to get on with this. Or do we say, now Lord, you quickened me by that marvellous power. I trust that power to work because it can conquer death. And if it can do that, it can do anything, Lord. I trust that power to work. And if we do that, friend, just that simple faith in that power, it does work. I'm sure you can say amen to that. I can. I know it does. And this is what you and I want to know, I believe, more and more in our experience. Just one final scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. See how it works again in Paul's experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. (coughs) Verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength we were crushed, the Greek says, insomuch as we despaired even of life. We don't know quite what he was referring to, but you can feel, can you not, this was something terrible. This was something that brought Paul near to death. But, he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Here it is. The God of resurrection. And that God is still the same. That Christ through whom that power comes is still the same. The same yesterday, today and forever. And the power hasn't lessened. And God is not rationing it. He's still giving it in all its fullness to those who trust. So there's no problem, there's no difficulty, there's nothing that we can think of in the future but what we can undertake if we have the sentence of death in ourselves if we have no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in ourselves, but every confidence in him who's conquered death, and the one who's willing to give us that marvellous power, it can operate in and through us, as much as it did through the Apostle Paul, as it much as it did through our beloved brother, Charles Wells. Now may each one of us get to know that in our experience, day by day, for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Shall we sing as our last tribute to Mr. Welsh?
the last hymn on the sheet, number 13 in the hymnal, Word of God, oh what a treasure in the written word we find, fountain source of purest pleasure for the weary heart and mind, number 13. Heavenly Father, we have come to the end of this very blessed service, this service in memoriam to our beloved President, Mr. Welsh. We thank thee for the remembrance of him. We thank thee for his example, for his life. We ask that to this greatest tribute that we can possibly pay to him may bear very much upon us, that we should be an example, that he should be our example, and that we should follow. And so we come to thee, our Father, thanking thee for every blessing that has come to us through his ministry. But thanking thee because he has always pointed us the way to the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom every blessing reaches us. And now as we take our leave from the one another, we ask that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit might be with us all evermore.